Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. Hi, Micah Tamara. This is Amy calling from Arlington. Um, I have a question about plant-based meat. I've been reading that if we really want to reduce our carbon emissions, we have to stop eating so much meat, especially red meat. I have tried the plant meat, um, and it doesn't really taste like the real thing to me. I want to eat it because I want to do my part to help fight climate change, but I just don't see uh, most Americans giving up fried chicken and steaks for the stuff, and I'm having a hard time, too. Curious to hear what you think. Thanks so much. Mike, that is the $64,000 question. Is fake meat going to fly? And should it fly? 64,000. I mean, meat is a trillion dollar market. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot bigger and it better fly. You know, it's funny. I remember when Beyond Meat, the first plant-based unicorn, it went public in the summer of 2019. And it wasn't just the biggest IPO of the year. It was the biggest stock of the year. You know, it, it was supposed to go public, I think, at 30. It went up to 75 right away. Pretty soon, the stock went up to 240. It was crazy. I remember I was interviewing Beyond Meat's chief growth officer, which is a kind of funny title just to think about. Um, and, you know, we were talking about it. That morning, the delivery service, Blue Apron, had announced that it was just that it was going to be carrying Beyond Meat products, right? No big deal. It's like Walmart announcing it's going to be having a new product on its shelves. And Blue Apron stock went up 50% while I was sitting in his office and we're watching his phone. So it was just incredible. And now Beyond Meat stock has gone from 240 down to 25. Plant-based meat sales, which were rising 40% a year. This last year, they were flat. And it's really starting to feel like it was just a Dutch tulip craze. Uh, and I think there are real worries about the future. So plant-based meat was the new, new thing for like seven seconds. And now, has it had its moment? Will it have another moment? What is the future of plant-based meat? Well, that's what we're talking about on this episode. I'm Michael Grunwald. And I'm Tamar Haspel, and this is Climavores, a show about eating on a changing planet. So, Mike, you have been spending so much time in the plant-based meat space, and you've looked at all the research, you've read the studies, you've talked to the experts. Is plant-based meat better for the climate than meat-based meat? You know, a lot of people do think that plant-based meat, just because it isn't using animals, is going to be a lot better for the climate. And they're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, Go figure. I, yeah, I, I try to be a, a contrarian a fair amount. But this is one area where the conventional wisdom is right. And it's funny because it feels like every month there's another story in the New York Times that's trying to debunk the conventional wisdom saying, is it really better? Well, it's really better. Uh, and it's especially better than beef. Most of the studies done by the plant-based companies themselves, but also by independent researchers, have found that from an emission standpoint, uh, you're going to reduce about 90% of your greenhouse gas impact by, by going plant-based rather than beef in particular. But chicken and, and pork are a completely different kettle of fish, if you'll excuse the expression. And the data <laughs> that I've seen show that, you know, chicken and pork 
are in the 10 to 20% range impact of beef, which puts them at least in the same order of magnitude as plant-based meats. That's, I think that's exactly right. And the reason, and this is what we talked about in our episode last week, is that beef is so freaking terrible. It's not that plant-based meat is fantastic or that chicken is fantastic. It's just way, way better than beef, which has this huge problem of land use. <laughs> you know, there's, it's the leading driver of deforestation around the planet. And it's also got the burps and farts and manure that are creating additional emissions. So really anything, as we discussed, anything that gets you away from beef is going to help a lot. Um, that said, getting away from chicken and getting away from pork is not as much of an emergency. I think most of the studies still show that there's a, at least a modest advantage mm -hmm. to uh, sort of cutting out the middleman. You're just going straight to the plants uh, and avoiding the animals that eat the plants. But you're absolutely correct that it's not as massive a difference. Okay, so I got to ask, the way you tell it, and honestly, the way I've read it is the same, that it's crystal clear that plant-based meats are not just better, but way better than beef climate-wise. So why the contrarian stories still? Why do we have mainstream media pushing back on this still? Well, I think, you know, you know, we're in the media. We know it's like we right, always we like to pump, pump stuff up and knock it down. And I think, you know, these, you know, these plant meats are a nice juicy target, right? And they are, you know, they touch some buttons that people don't like. You know, they're industrial. They're processed. They've got some of them have GMOs. And so I think there's sort of a natural question but the answer turns out to be really boring, <laughs> um, particularly if you're if you're moving away from beef, you're doing something really good for the planet. And if you can find a fake beef that satisfies you on taste and price and convenience, that's going to be excellent. And, you know, it's been interesting for me to watch because, like, my Twitter feed is filled with a lot of good food people, people who are really interested in improving our food supply. And in that group, there are a lot of people who are pushing back hard against plant-based meat for, you know, some of the reasons we, I think we talked about when we talked about beef in the last episode, that people are really attached to this idea that cattle in our food system are a good thing and they can be a good thing. And so plant-based meats, you know, these factory produced patties are a bad thing because they touch all those buttons, the unnatural button, the ultra processed button, you know, the genetically modified button. And is that going to stick? Well, I don't know. But from a climate perspective, it's wrong. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the question is whether people are going to like it. I don't think people went to buy it because of the climate, right? That's, that's not how people make their food choices. They're generally looking for what tastes good, what they can afford, and what's convenient. And perhaps as think we'll discuss later, you know, what they think is good for them for their body. They generally didn't try this stuff to try to be heroes for the planet. So if we go back to when the Impossible Whopper came out, what was that, 2019? That's right. And there were lines at Burger King's to get the Impossible Whopper. And I will fess up, my husband and I went to our local Cape Cod Burger King. We, we checked the list to see which Burger Kings were going to have Impossible Whoppers. And we went to get an Impossible Whopper because I wanted to see 
how it tasted. Not, I, you know, I, Whoppers aren't a normal part of my diet, but, you know, nobody can say they don't taste good. <laughs> and and so we went and we also, we, we ate burgers in a couple other places too. And for me, I thought it was a basically a persuasive burger experience because by the time you put all that other stuff on it, any off taste or differences basically fall by the wayside because it's all that other stuff is so much a part of the experience. And I thought it was totally fine. What did you think? You know, I was the first person online to get the Impossible Whopper when it came out in Miami. And uh, that's hardcore. I agree. Yeah, I I thought it tasted like a Whopper. Um, You know, the Whoppers aren't thick and juicy. They're those little thin pieces of practically fake meat to begin with, right? And, uh, you know, slathered in all that glop. And I thought it tasted really good. And honestly, you know, not to pick sides, but I do think the Impossible Foods has done a really good job of replicating a lot of the sensory experience of eating meat of eating a burger with their heme. They're even mm-hmm. able to uh, to get a little bit of that, you know, that bleed, um, but they have the mouth feel. Um, and remember, they're using GMO soy, which uh, a lot of people hate. Now, Beyond, um, which does not use GMO soy, they use pea protein. And I think they're not quite there, particularly when you cook it, it Kind of smells like cat piss, and I have to say, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, and I, I mentioned this to uh, to the CEO Ethan Brown, and he said, "Yeah, I know, we're working on it." <laughs> so, so this is a, you know, this is a problem, and obviously, given what's happened to sales, which have really, you know, not taken off the way it was expected, people don't think it's good enough right now. So there was all of this enthusiasm out of the gate. And that was only, what, three years ago. And sales increased by leaps and bounds for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. They were going up like 40% a year. And then from last year to this year, they totally flatlined, I believe, at like $1.4 billion. And all of a sudden, n- nobody's really interested anymore. And, and you know, I, I try never to generalize from my own experience, but I was like, okay, I tried this. It was fine. It was good. And if I were stuck in some rest area in the middle of the country and an impossible Whopper was one of the choices, I'd probably go for it. But I'm not going out to find this stuff and I'm not cooking with it at home. So what happened to all that enthusiasm? Well, it certainly does seem to have dissipated. And I think you'd have to say that right now the product's not good enough. Now, remember, these companies, Ethan Brown, Pat Brown, No Relation, who's the founder of Impossible Foods, these guys were ethical vegans who started their company. They're on a mission. They want to save animals. They want to save the planet. But they absolutely recognize that their mission only succeeds if they make a great product that people love. Ethan Brown told me he said he wants to be the next Tesla, you know, and people don't buy a Tesla because they want to save the world. They buy it because it's an awesome car. Um, in fact, Beyond Meat's first product was a fake chicken that Ethan pulled off the shelves because he thought it wasn't good enough. It wasn't ready for prime time. They worked on it. They have all of these, you know, they've dozens of scientists and there are lab coats, you know, working on this biotech product to try to really match the original meat and the mouthfeel and the taste and the smell and the sensory experience in every way. They put it out there and it just doesn't seem to be working. It's a little more expensive, which is 
understandable, you know, when you have a new product and impossible in particular, the price is coming down, but it just doesn't seem to be having the kind of repeat customers that they wanted. The uh, plant-based meat industry, which they were sort of trying to put out their positive spin on, you know, why their sales were flat in the last year. And they said, yeah, well, but 64% of our customers come back. That's not enough. (laughs) If you've got a great product, they should all be coming back or almost all of them. It's a real red flag that so far, you know, this hasn't taken off the way some of us thought it would. And, you know, I I agree with your assessment of impossible versus beyond. I also think that impossible tastes better than beyond. I also think that the people who are running these companies totally get it. I've interviewed Pat Brown, and he is absolutely in it to try and improve the the carbon footprint of our diets. And I think that that I have to give both of Ethan Brown and Pat Brown credit for for this because you don't usually see that in a you know a new company starting up where its primary purpose is to actually do something good in the world, but they also acknowledge that in order to get that done, they can't count on customers buying it to save the the planet. They have to count on people buying it because there's some mix of taste and convenience and price, which are the things that people care about. And like you said, it's just not there yet. It's funny, Beyond has really made an effort to emphasize that it's good for your body um, because that is something that people care about. Not even just like, here's the, you know, here's the table of contents, you know, with your nutritional information, but they've brought in all these athletes, Serena Williams, DeAndre Jordan, um, as sort of celebrity endorsers. When I went to go see Beyond Meat, I ran into Chris Paul in the lobby. He was, at the time, he was a free agent, and I tried to get him to come to the Miami Heat. But he's been very public about how, you know, this stuff helps him recover. Eating vegan, it helps his performance. And I think they're, you know, they're trying to make the case that you shouldn't, you know, don't buy us because, you know, you want to be a good person. Buy us because we're awesome. So far, though, people just don't seem to think it's as awesome as we do. Okay, for starters, for anybody out there who's going, who's Chris Paul? That was me, and Mike had to tell me he's some basketball player. And I'm threatening him with one-for-one basketball mentions with golf mentions. So use them judiciously, Mike. But I, I thought we were only talking about athletes. Are, are golfers really athletes? Oh, that's that's funny. You go ask Rory McIlroy. <laughs> Who? <laughs> 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 but but your point is well taken because people are trying to push these things as being better for you. Now, the question of whether they really are, then that steps over into my uh, my nutrition jurisdiction. So let's exactly. talk about that. We've left Climateville. Let's go talk about health. So break it down for us. Plant-based meat, it's definitely better for the climate, certainly better than beef. But is it better for our bodies than the real thing? You know, the answer to like every single nutrition question on the planet is it depends. And and this is no (laughs) exception. So there are a couple ways to look at it. And the beef people 
tend to use this one particular approach where you list all of the micronutrients that are in beef, and then you list all of the micronutrients in these plant-based burgers, and it you know su- suggests that beef has all of these things that plant-based burgers don't have. And that can be true. The question is, does it make any difference? Because do we really know what level of each micronutrient humans need? Do we really know what level we're getting and how much of that we're getting from beef? So a list of nutrients Nutrients tells you nothing. Right. It's always, they always do the ingredients, right? It's like, here's the fake meat with the monosodium glutinate this and the, you know, polysaturated blah, 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 that. And then you've got beef and like beef is good. All those chemicals, bad. There was a meme going around when this argument was raging, although unfortunately it's still raging, showing the ingredients of plant-based meat and the ingredients of dog food, (laughs) implying, of course... (laughs) (laughs) that one is going to taste like the other. But, you know, this is the old yoga mat gambit, you know, when there was that preservative uh, in bread that was also used in yoga mats. And, of course, Food Babe, remember her, went around scaring people about this particular thing. People love to get up in arms about ingredient lists. But the reality is, if you want to figure out if something is better or worse for us, there's really only one way to do it. You have to recruit a bunch of people and essentially hold them prisoner and feed one group one thing and one group the other thing and then see how the numbers run. And, And of course, this is a difficult thing to do for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, people don't really like to be held prisoner for a long period of time, so these studies tend to be short. Although so there are ways to do it with free living people as well. And there, there was a study that was done, and it was done by a guy at Stanford, Christopher Gardner, who is a very well-regarded researcher in this area. He's done a lot of diet trials, and it was funded by Beyond Meat. And the way it worked was that of the two groups of people, and they were small people because these studies tend to be, they, they weren't small people. <laughs> There were small numbers of people (laughs) because these studies tend to be expensive, so you can't do it with all that many people. And they gave one group plant-based meats and the other group meat-based meats to see what would happen. And it was a lot of it. It was at least two servings a day. Yikes. And and, <laughs> I, and then I think it was eight weeks on one and then eight weeks on the other. It was a that's crossover. A lot, that's a lot of meat even for Americans. <laughs> that's a lot of meat even for Americans. And I want to talk about that, but first I'm going to tell you what happened. So at the end of the eight or 12 weeks, I can't remember which it was, the plant-based people had several markers that are associated with heart disease were lower, including LDL cholesterol, which is pretty widely acknowledged to be an indication for heart disease. So the conclusion is that all else being equal, plant-based burgers are probably a little better than meat-based burgers, but all else is never equal. (laughs) So there are two important ways that it wasn't equal. First is that Nobody's going to eat that much 
plant-based meat. I mean, even enthusiasts aren't going to eat two servings a day every day. But the other thing, and I think this is what gets lost in the shuffle, is that out in the real world, people don't just substitute plant-based meat for meat. They think it's better for them. And so there's a whole history of people studying foods that people think are better for them. Like they put people in a room with either a thing that says potato chips or a thing that says low-fat potato chips or organic potato chips or low-sodium potato chips. And people always end up eating more of the ones that have that label on them. So it's they like call a rebound it a health- effect. <laughs> well, they call it a health halo. <laughs> and so plant-based meats are going to have a health halo. And if you think it's better for you, then there's the risk that people are going to go to town on burgers. And of course, burger accoutrement, like French fries and soda. And my seat of the pants guess on whether in the real world, plant-based meat is going to be a health win. I'm going to say it's going to be a wash. Well, I think, right, there are for, and this is for nutrition newbies like me, but I mean, I think there are, there are probably a few things we can say, right? That uh, I, my sense is that the the plant-based meats generally, they do have less cholesterol or no cholesterol, I think yes. uh, some of them have said, and that uh, and that they have less of the saturated fats, though again, like, you know, beats yes. me whether that's good or bad. And right now, most of them have more sodium, uh, is my understanding. They do. They also have fiber, which is usually thought of to be a good thing to the extent that we can nail these things down. The sodium, I don't give a lot of credence to that because people add salt to burgers when they cook. So at the end of the day, I really don't think the sodium is going to be an, an issue. Well, one thing I like to point out, and again, I have no standing to to weigh in on the, the nutritional capabilities of these different options. Mike, we're um, journalists. But- we don't have standing to weigh in on anything, but it doesn't stop us. <laughs> well, I will say this. The cow is a pretty mature technology. Yes, it is. Um, It's been with us for a while. While this bioengineered meat, um, which they're making in labs, and it's incredibly young technology. You know, these companies just started in 2007, 2008, 2009, the first ones. It's only been on the shelves since 2019. They can make it better. And you can imagine ways that like, huh, you want more nutrients? We'll put in more nutrients. You want less sodium? We'll put in less sodium. You can imagine ways that plant-based meat can improve over time in ways that it would be really difficult to improve beef. Actually, I have a hard time imagining how plant-based meat is going to improve. And let's go back to the things that Ethan Brown and Pat Brown have told both of us, which is that Plant-based meat, in order to be successful, has to mimic meat. And meat tastes good because it has saturated fat. (laughs) Meat tastes good because it has a specific nutritional profile. And if you think you're going to get the flavor of meat, but you're somehow going to get all these nutrients into it, that smacks of magical thinking to me. I do not think that they can make a plant-based meat that both tastes as good or better than meat and is better for you, I'm selling that, Mike. You know, I think back in the days of, uh, right, the old hockey puck veggie burgers that we used to be stuck with, I think a lot of people would have said that's what a veggie burger tastes like. And then these, you know, these young scientists and, you know, in their lab coasts with their, you know, crazy 
they call them, they have like an e-nose and they have an e-mouth for the mouthfeel and all these incredible quantitative approaches to try to figure out how to make something taste good. Whether they taste good enough or not, they clearly taste better than they used to. They improved it. And I think that's, you know, those of us who are sort of technology believers, right? That's the thing about innovation. Uh, They take things places they weren't before. They get better. And it's, you know, granted, it's you have to be a little bit of an optimist about it. But certainly being an optimist about technology is, uh, you know, is not insane. We wouldn't have thought that a couple of decades ago that we'd be walking around with all the no- accumulated knowledge of, you know, the human race in our pockets every day. Well, I think that the techno-optimism is actually a really important part of this conversation because one of the objections that people raise about all of these things is it's ultra-processed. Right. And ultra-processed foods have been a part of our obesity problem, but I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding about why. Processing is a tool, and you know, like any other tool, it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. I can help. If I have a hammer, I can help you fix your roof or I can kill your dog. You know, it's not the hammer's <laughs> fault. <laughs> not that I would ever do that, except that dog does bark a lot. And yeah, so I have annoying ones. Proce- processing, processing in the food industry has been a tool that's been used to make food irresistible. It's been used to make it cheap. It's been used to make it shelf-stable and convenient. And there are a couple of books out there that detail the lengths that the food industry goes to to make food irresistible, to find the bliss point. And so it's unsurprising that the food industry has succeeded in using processing as a tool to make food that's basically crap for us. But we see a couple of ways that people are trying to use processing as a tool for better things, and this is one of them. So the reason processing is bad for us isn't necessarily the processing per se. It's the purpose of the processing. I think that's a great point, Tamara. And I think people are really uncomfortable and freaked out about just the entire idea of technology and food. Um, They have a lot of ideas about, oh, genetically modified this um, and ultra-processed that uh, that are not necessarily backed up by the evidence. Look, you look at at this, you know, yes, it's fake meat, which makes it sound like it's sort of artificial and nasty. But essentially what they're trying to do is replicate the proteins and the amino acid chains and the the stuff that's in regular meat. And remember, I mean, you know, regular meat is made of plants. That's what cows eat. <laughs> so again, I mean, the, the processing that's done in a, you know, in one of these extruders is a lot different than the processing that's done on the inside of a cow. But ultimately, I do think that harnessing nature, harnessing biology, these are tools that are going to be really important to help us, you know, move beyond the current technologies that we have, which is called cattle, that is really failing the planet. And it seems like in some ways, not all that fantastic for our bodies either, right? I mean, the question on a lot of these things is compared to what? Right. You know, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, this fake meat, it's terrible for you. And it's like, yeah, well, compared to kale, true. You know, compared to beef, you know, now we're sort of talking about six of one, half a dozen of the other. And we can't let 
the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I I do think that the nutrition community and sort of the good food movement have a puritanical streak, but it's based in something real. This idea that foods that aren't too far removed from their state when they grow in the ground or as animals should be the bulk of our diet. And that's true because the processed foods that are the alternative have been so bad for us. And it's going to be hard for people to shift a little bit and allow for technology to be a force for good in the food system when it's been a force for bad for so long. Well, I have a little bit of a puritanical streak myself, and it it involves the fact that we are careening towards a climate catastrophe and that we're not going to be able to grow food or raise livestock on this planet the way things are going. Things really do need to change. And I'm kind of desperate for solutions at this point, and it seems to me that we're going to find some of them in technology. I think the real question that this entire plant-based meat movement has raised is, is this going to be an answer? Is this going to do it? Plant-based milks are already almost 15% of the U.S. milk markets, but plant-based meat is still a drop in the bucket. Do you think it can change? All right. Now, here comes the portion of the program where Mike and I pull out our crystal balls and try to to foretell the future of fake meat. But first, well, we've never let's been make... wrong about anything before, right? Yeah. I don't... How many predictions have we made? <laughs> so we know that climate wise, it's absolutely positively, inarguably a win over beef, right? Absolutely. Although, you know, even though it's inarguable, People seem to argue. (laughs) Yeah, they seem to argue about it quite a bit. We also know that nutritionally, it's a little more complicated, right? There seem to be pros and cons on both sides. It's obviously worse for for your health than eating kale or your beloved lentils all day long. But in general, it seems like it's probably going to be a little bit better than the real thing. So... It's a wash, let's call it a wash nutritionally. It's a win climatically. So we want it to succeed. But all right, here's my crystal ball. And for this, we have to go back to the actual cow because burgers are only one of the things that come from a cow. And the thing that actually drives the size of the beef herds and also provides the lion's share of the profits for the people who grow cattle is the whole muscle cuts. So all of this plant-based meat that we've been talking about has been burgers. It's been ground meat and also the processed kinds of pork and chicken. And I think we can also agree that there is no plant-based steak that's persuasive anywhere on the horizon, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, the homogenous stuff seems to be a lot easier, you know, and we're, this is a another episode for us, but I think it's more the cell-based steaks of the future that will hopefully come along and replicate the filet mignon of, uh, of tomorrow, but they're not anywhere close. Okay. So we can agree that 
plant-based meat is pretty good and getting better, but plant-based steak is not remotely a thing. So it's a little easier to make a McNugget than it is to, uh, you know. Exactly, because those are processed in the first place. <laughs> exactly. So what happens, and it, let's be clear, it hasn't happened yet, when people start buying plant-based burger instead of beef, but there's still the same demand for steaks and roasts and the whole muscle cuts. So, uh, you know, it's so, there are a lot of ifs here. But obviously, if the plant-based meat drives the price of burger down, it will probably drive the price of steak and roast up because people still have to make a profit on the whole cow. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of questions about what we're going to export and there's beef demand overseas and things like that. So there's a lot of moving parts to this prediction. But I don't think that beef herds are going to go down until demand for the whole muscle cuts goes down. And it's possible that uh, that rising prices of those whole muscle cuts will do that. It's also possible that a recession would do that. Look, I think we can definitely agree that it's going to be really hard to disrupt beef until somebody figures out a way to disrupt steak. And we're nowhere close to doing that. Um, Pat Brown has talked about how by 2035, he's going to get rid of all animal agriculture. Um, well, <laughs> he better hurry up and come up with a really good juicy steak um, that everybody's going to want to eat because right now he's got a long way to go. And I do think that the it's the plant-based meats that are not going to, d- to disrupt steak. And we will definitely have to do an episode about the cell-based meat, which probably has a snowball's chance of being able to do it. But even that, I think, is going to be decades away. I think that's right. It's funny. I actually was in Israel and uh, I was meeting with a guy who's trying to make plant-based 3D printed steaks. And he gave me a sample of some plant-based 3D printed kebab, which was delicious, but was not a steak. (laughs) They're not there yet with the steak. And the kebab was another just homogenous, you know, ground beefy type product um, that I have a lot of confidence in the industry's ability to use technology and science and innovate towards something that's going to be just as good as the real meat products that are on the market. But I think we agree that you know, making these more complex cuts with marbling and fats. And that's just going to be really hard. And it's going to take a while. It's not happening. And, you know, I kind of have a confession here. I am 100% in favor of plant-based meats. I have some optimism that in the long term, they will displace some beef consumption. But I still don't really want to cook with them at home. And it's not an intellectual objection. It's a completely visceral objection. Because I'm so used to cooking with the whole foods that everybody's telling everybody they ought to be able to they ought to be eating. And I I just balk at the idea of putting this in a pan, which is weird because I don't balk at the idea of eating it. So I'm wondering if chefs and restaurateurs are going to be important 
in this because I wonder if I'm not the only one who is totally willing to order this in a restaurant, but extremely unlikely to cook it at home. Well, look, I think food is idiosyncratic, right, is partly what you're getting at, right? Yeah, I it think, is. Um, everybody's going to make their own choices. Some people probably like it at home, but not in a restaurant. Um, in fact, I'm probably closer to that because I sort of know how I like to cook it. And at times when I've had an Impossible Burger, you know, out, they, they overcook it, I think. Um, and I don't like that. You know, these things are going to take time. Personally, I think what's going to make more of a difference in terms of adoption are going to be things like one one really good trend we're already starting to see is that the Nestle's, the Morning Stars, the JBS, the big kahunas of the food world are starting to realize that they've got to put out their own plant-based products. And I think that is one way that you're going to start seeing this getting closer to the mainstream um, when it's just more ubiquitous. Uh, that's going to make a big difference. And again, as there's more of this made, you're going to see prices come down, mm-hmm. and that's going to make that's going to make a big difference. The, the one other thing I would say is, I think people were really down forever on on solar, on electric vehicles, on uh, you know on LED lighting, and um, you know a lot of my friends are like, oh Mike, you know you were such an optimist, you were right all along. And if I'm really honest. I was actually too much of an optimist. I sort of thought, hey, look, solar works and, you know, it's getting near price parity. Everybody's going to adopt it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of thought the same thing. You know, I got a Chevy Bolt. I was like, this is a great car and it was pretty cheap. I mean, pretty soon we're going to have no internal combustion engines. And I just underestimated the kind of stickiness of people's consumption habits, which I think with food is going to be, you know, might be even harder. Um, They're very sticky. But there's another, what you say, it sort of uh, dovetails to, I think, one last thing that is working in uh, plant-based meats favor, which is that our cohort is dying off and we're being replaced by young people. And I think I've seen a lot of polls about food preferences. And, you know, Gen Z is has completely different attitudes about this than, than boomers. And as kids grow up with the idea of plant-based meats, it won't be, you know, a habit that needs to be displaced. They just grow up with the habit in the first place. And so, you know, a lot of things about food are like that. Basically, you know, the people with the old ideas eventually die and the young people with the new ideas replace them. I had bodes ill for our podcast, Mike. Well, I think that's actually, it's a great argument for optimism. And let me drop a few more. Um, Okay. The first, I sort of mentioned this earlier, but technology gets better. Um, I know you're a little skeptical of this, but food technology, even though people are a little skittish about it, um, I don't see any reason why they, you know, they're working on, they've already gotten the taste a lot better. There's no reason they can't continue to improve. Um, You're going to continue to see that with the, uh, the nutritional makeup. I don't see any reason they can't improve that. And certainly the price is going to come down. So I think that's a, that's a reason to be optimistic. I also think a lot about the developing world where you've seen um, just like they had, you know, they they skipped straight to cell phones. They didn't go to landlines. You can imagine 
one of the real injustices of the world today is that the vast majority of people on earth eat practically no meat. And remember, it is a nutrition, you know, it's an important to the nutritional makeup. Oh, absolutely. Now, Americans, Americans eat way too much. We average three burgers a week and it's crazy. You know, we should be skipping a few trips to the drive-thru um, if we care about the climate and if we care about our bodies too. But in the, the third world needs more meat. And I think there's a real possibility that you can imagine if they can get the price down going straight to plant-based meat. And then the final you know, at least semi-optimistic thing I have to say is that (laughs) the climate crisis is real. It's increasingly recognized as real. And at some point, governments are going to start doing something about it. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be a carbon tax. Um, You know, if there was a carbon tax, that would be really tough on beef. But you can imagine more and more government involvement in sorting in at least Carrots to try to encourage research and development of plant-based meat. Sticks to try to force actual meat to move in directions that, if not, are better for the climate, at least become more expensive. So you can see the playing field getting leveled a little bit in the way of plant-based meat. And maybe I'm just trying to talk myself into it because ultimately, (laughs) clearly people don't like it enough right now and they got to start liking it more. So the lukewarm climavores take is that plant-based meat will at some point, but probably not in the very near future, displace some beef and have a positive climate impact. Yes? (laughs) Well, I'm glad I've convinced you. And now I just need to convince myself. All right. And we'll continue to work on convincing other people. In the meantime, Climavores is a production of Postscript Media. And we want your questions. Reach out to us. You can call us at 508-377-3449 or drop us an email at climavores at postscriptaudio.com. We just might feature your question on an upcoming episode. The show is hosted by me, Tamar Haspel. And me, Michael Grunwald. Scott Clavenna and Stephen Lacey are the executive producers. Ann Bailey is the senior editor. Cecily Mesa-Martinez is the managing producer, and Dalvin Abawaje is the associate producer. Sean Marquand and Greg Vilfranc get all the engineering done. If you liked us, help us. You can spread the word by giving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. And if there's a climate hawk or a foodie in your life, please send them a link. And tune in next week. We're going to be talking vertical farms. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a range of sectors, including advanced energy, food and agriculture, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing, and now media. To see Prelude's full portfolio and learn how it invests, go to preludeventures.com.